from its 13th century Dublin castle to its role as the second city of the British Empire. Dublin streets have known feast and famine, and they bore witness to the bloody struggle for Irish independence. On a lighter note, each year the city commemorates June 16th as Bloomsday. That's the day the streets of Dublin become the haunt of James Joyce fans as they painstakingly recreate the details of that day, lived by his character Leopold Bloom in Ulysses. Joe Darcy specializes in walking tours of his hometown, and he joins us now for insider tips for seeing the best of Dublin. Joe, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So Dublin was, at one time, the number two city in the British Empire. It certainly was, particularly in the 18th century. In Um, the 1700s, it really was a... 1700s. There's a period of architecture known as Georgian architecture, and Dublin went through a big, big building boom in the 18th century, and Dublin's prosperous Protestant class. They had a huge amount of money and they built a huge amount of buildings. So when we see the great Georgian architecture, uh, Georgian is British for neoclassical. Mm. When you go to Dublin, that was mostly Protestant bigwigs in Dublin representing the British throne. Yes, certainly. The the official of the colony. The official religion in Ireland was Protestantism, although the vast majority of people were Catholic. We have this phrase called beyond the pale. Beyond the pale, yeah. It relates to Dublin. Um, When the Anglo-Normans, the precursors to the English, when they arrived and captured the city of Dublin in 1167, 1169, I beg your pardon, and Dublin became the centre of the English colony of Ireland. And in a very short period, they built castles in and around Dublin up to 30 miles north, 30 miles, 40 miles south and 10, 12 miles to the the west. And that became known as the Pale, uh, P-A-L-E. So beyond the pale. And beyond the pale was outside the English control. So good luck to you if you venture beyond the beyond, pale. Absolutely. Okay, let's go back with our walk through Dublin now. And to me, the, the center of Dublin would be O'Connell Bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, you stand on O'Connell Bridge, and what are we going to see? You're the guide. Tell us about the river. Tell us about what we're looking at. When you're standing on O'Connell Bridge, you're standing on the, the River Liffey, which is flowing underneath you. The River Liffey flows in an east-west direction, almost perfectly east-west through the city of Dublin. So it divides Dublin beautifully up into the north side and south side. The north side of Dublin in the early Georgian period was the place where the aristocracy built their houses. And then in around the middle of the 18th century, a man named James Fitzgerald built his house, now called Leinster House, on the south side of the city. And from the time he built his house there, all the, the rich people started to build their houses on the south on side. The south. Okay. And the north side kind of got deserted from the, by the rich people and started to be populated by poorer people. There's a, a working class edge to it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And in, in years gone by, when Dublin's population was centred in the city, Dublin's population had now spread out into suburbs. But in years gone by, there was a big population living in Dublin city centre. And you were defined by which side of the river you were born on. What's the joke? The north siders were called uh, the accused. The accused and the south side is where your honour. Your honour. Is that much of yeah. a gap? It's not so much now, but no. when I was growing up... It's a pretty rough rough no, and tumble district, I bet. When yeah, north side is where considered rough, uh, less, or sorry, more criminally inclined. A favourite joke was, uh, years ago, was why would a south side girl, that's just the well-off girl, why would she go out with a north sider boy to get her handbag back? I want my handbag back. Just beyond the next bridge, then down from O'Connell Bridge, uh-huh. is a, a wonderful memorial of uh, six or seven figures. They are very tall figures, very tall, skinny figures. And I think what the sculpture has made them tall is to accentuate how thin they were. Ireland has had a long and troubled history, but without a doubt, the greatest disaster to happen to Ireland was the famine of 1846, 1847. 
Isn't the population of Ireland today even less than it was before the Great Potato Famine? Oh, it's still much less than it was. Like in a 18... third of the population yeah. or something? There's a census of Ireland in 1841 and the population of Ireland was 8 million people. The population of Ireland in the 1901 census, which is the next one we have records for because a lot of records were destroyed, was less than 4 million people. So half. Population halved in, in a short period. There's no other European country, no other Western country, I think, has a population demograph like that, where population is less than it was 150 years ago. And that's part of the impact Ireland has had on the United States. Hmm. There are more Irish people in the United States today than, than in Ireland. That's very true, yeah. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Joe Darcy, and he's a, a tour guide in Dublin, and we're taking a walk through Dublin. And uh, Joe, if we want to walk from O'Connell Bridge up O'Connell Street, we see a lot of statues that just really tell the story of Irish history. Who are some of the characters we'll meet along that O'Connell Street? Well, the first, the first statue you'll see, it's right beside O'Connell Bridge, is the statue of Daniel O'Connell. He's one of my great heroes of Ireland. Most of the heroes of Ireland are soldiers who have died fighting for Ireland. Yeah? But Daniel O'Connell is one of my great heroes because he lived for Ireland. He was a politician in the early 19th century who, through peaceful means and through organising the Catholics of Ireland into a major sort of block. They didn't have any votes in Ireland. Catholics did not have the vote. But he organised a series of mass monster meetings. So monster meetings. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people. This be- was Before they had amplified uh, voice you know, speakers. Yeah, and this was very much like the Velvet Revolution that went on in Eastern European countries at the yeah. fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah. He, Daniel O'Connell was doing this in the 1820s. You'd also come upon the general post office and... And this is, uh, to a lot of people, they go, well, it's the post office, but this is near and dear to the Irish soul. The general post office is one of the most iconic buildings, not just in Dublin, but in Ireland. Why so? Um, well, Ireland has, has been a colony of England for a long, long time, 700 years. There's been many, many rebellions right throughout that time. And the most iconic of all the rebellions was the rebellion of 1916, which took place mostly in Dublin. On the morning of Easter Monday in 1916, a small group of Irish rebels captured the GPO, the General Post Office, and declared an Irish independent republic. The rebellion was doomed to failure in terms of military because they didn't have any numbers. They were easily going to get beaten. But what their intention was and what they succeeded in doing was to reinvigorate the demand by Irish people for their own nationhood again. They had almost no chance of winning, but oh, they, they had, stoked the spirit oh, of the Irish It's not just people. almost no chance. They had zero so chance So this was worse than the Alamo in America, probably. <laughs> Actually, very much like the Alamo. It seems yeah. like an Alamo. I, we could I, relate to the Alamo. Yeah, they had no hope of victory either. Yeah, now, yeah. nearby, there used to be a statue of the great British hero, Lord Nelson. Lord Nelson's column, Nelson's Pillar, it was called. I think it was built around 1820 or something like that. You could walk up Nelson's Pillar in an internal stairway. I remember doing uh-huh. it as a child for three uh-huh. pence, which was a lot of money. I could buy a lot of toffees for three pence. <laughs> but I did it once. And in 1966, on the 50th anniversary of the 1960 rebellion... So that's 50 years after the, 50 years, uh, yeah. the General Post Office. The Irish Republican time. Army put a bomb in the middle of Nelson's Pillar and knocked down from about halfway down, yeah. Blew it up. Blew it up, yeah. What stands there today? It was replaced by a statue of the River Goddess... The goddess of the river Liffey, her name was Anna Livia. I loved Anna Livia's statue. She was a reclining figure. She must have been about 18, 20 foot long, surrounded by a fountain of water. And most Dublin people loved her there. Quite often people would put soap washing up liquid into the fountain and she'd be surrounded by suds. 
and she was known affectionately as the floozy in the jacuzzi. <laughs> when, the, when the year 2000 was coming around, a lot of European cities, I don't know about American cities, a lot of European cities were building, doing projects to commemorate the, the, millennium. the new millennium. Right. So there was a lot of designs put in for a new monument on the site of the former Nelson's Pillar. The winning project was a 110 meter high metal spire. It's called the Monument of Light. And this um, is just like a stainless steel spike. Stainless steel did... spike. Most people know it as the spike. It's just like a big flagpole without yeah. a flag on it. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Any other nicknames? It's the spire, it's the needle. The stiletto in the ghetto? The stiletto in the ghetto is its most popular nickname, yeah. Uh, just across the road from the stiletto in the ghetto is a statue of James Joyce on a street called North Earl Street. Uh-huh. And he's a typical James Joyce pose. He has his walking stick out and he's known as the dick with the stick. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Joe Darcy. We're walking through Dublin. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Cheryl's calling in from Peachtree City in Georgia. Cheryl, thanks for your call. Hello. Hi. So I'm going to be visiting Dublin on a cruise, and I'm going to have a limited amount of time. We're just going to be there for about 12 hours. So I was wondering if you could tell me some of the things that I should, I can't miss during that time and maybe something that's off the beaten path. Uh, well, one of the things, hi, it's Joe here. One of the things that you, you shouldn't miss is the Book of Kells, which is not the oldest manuscript book made in Ireland, but the, the most important. It's famous for the calligraphy and the incredible artwork that's in it. That's on permanent display in Trinity College, right in the heart of Dublin. My advice would be, if you're on a cruise ship, there's probably going to be lots of buses visiting Trinity College. They normally visit in the morning hours. So don't go there in the morning if you're going there on your own. Arguably the most beautiful medieval art from the Dark Ages in Europe, the uh, illuminated manuscripts on the Book of Kells. Absolutely, yeah. A reminder that Ireland was a real yeah. bright spot in Europe when, when the rest of Europe was in what mm. we call the Dark Ages. So as well as Trinity College, I would say that's, do that in late afternoon. But before that, perhaps go up, take a walk up to Dublin Castle, the grounds of Dublin Castle. A lot of people get disappointed when they see Dublin Castle because they're expecting the medieval castle, but Dublin Castle was destroyed by an accidental fire towards the end of the 17th century, and it's a French-style building now, but it's a magnificent building. But it's it the centre of government, really. It's it's cent- it was the centre of government of the British co- of the right. colony of Ireland, yeah. Now, one thing I'd recommend, uh, Cheryl, is to just take advantage of all the wonderful guides in Dublin. I mean, Joe's one of them, but there's lots of good guides that give walking, historic walking tours. They take an hour and a half or so, and students do it at Trinity College, and then uh, guides meet you at different uh, meeting points around Dublin, and they'll give you a a good two-hour historical walk. Absolutely, yeah. Have fun, Cheryl, on your trip. Thank you very much. You bet. And Stephen's calling in from Cudahy in Wisconsin. Stephen, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. In 2013, my wife and I were in Dublin, and we happened to be there for Bloomsday, June 16th, and we took a couple of guided James Joyce walks. We went to Davy Burns Pub for lunch. We had the traditional gorgonzola cheese sandwich and a glass of burgundy, and for anybody who has any interest in Dublin or Irish literature, this should be a pilgrimage. Joe just gave you a thumbs up that doesn't show very well on the radio, but he's all if, for what you just said. If, if you were having a gorgonzola cheese sandwich in Davy Burns on Bloomsday 2013, I might have been there at the same time. <laughs> I, I, was, I was the guy dressed in, well, there was thousands of people dressed, but I had a lovely bowler hat on. I, ha- I have my Bloomsday outfit. And I, I sincerely hope if you did Davy Burns on your pilgrimage that you went to a place called Swenny's. 
Swenny's Pharmacy is uh, on Lincoln Place in Dublin and that's one of my favourite places in Dublin and if you're looking for something different to do in Dublin visit Swenny's Pharmacy not just on Bloomsday Now what's so good about this pharmacy? Swenny's Pharmacy was a, a pharmacy built in 1845 1850 um, so it's a Victorian pharmacy and the pharmacy has been preserved one of my colleagues in Swenny's I, I say one of my colleagues in Swenny's because I'm a director of FW Swenny Company Limited which is a charity which looks after the shop it's a preserved Victorian pharmacy, but what makes it on the Joyce Trail is in Chapter 5 of James Joyce's Ulysses classic book about Dublin on the 16th of June 1904. Leopold Bloom, around 10.30 in the morning, goes into Swenny's Pharmacy. And while he's in Swenny's Pharmacy, he's looking around, he's describing the bottles and the jars on the shelves, probably still there today. It's just an incredibly preserved building. And while he's there, Leopold Bloom buys a bar of lemon soap. So every visitor who visits us on Bloomsday particularly, they buy the bar of soap. It's not just on Bloomsday. Swenny's Pharmacy is open every day. It's a little gem in Dublin. It only holds about 20 people if they're all seated in there. Okay. But we sit people in there and we read James Joyce out aloud. It's Beautiful. on every day between one o'clock and two o'clock, there's a story read or a part of a book. But if you go in there with a group of people outside those hours, they read a story for you anyway. So now for those of us who are not uh, that literate to have read Ulysses, what is Bloomsday? Bloomsday is the 16th of June. James Joyce's most famous novel is Ulysses, which is about one day in Dublin. And the day he chose was the 16th of June, 1904, which is the day that he went out with a girl named Nora Barnacle for the first time. That was their first date. They eventually eloped a few months later. So the city celebrates James Joyce and his literary heritage every June 16th. Every June 16th is now known as Bloomsday and we dress up in the clothes of the period and we follow the roots of both Leopold Bloom and a guy named Stephen Dedalus as they're walking backwards and forwards across Dublin on the 16th of June wow. 1904. Stephen, uh, w- would you recommend being in Dublin on, on Bloomsday? I would and my wife and I are going to be there again this year for Bloomsday and we hope we can meet Joe. And what do you look forward to doing other than meeting Joe on Bloomsday? There's all kinds of festivities. There's concerts, there's walks, there's just hanging out in the pubs. So the whole city is alive. Joe, what are some, a couple of other favorite uh, hidden treats in Dublin that we might, we might want to be aware of? The Marsh Library is Ireland's oldest public library. It's a 300-year-old library right beside St. Patrick's Cathedral. So if you're a tourist in Dublin, the likelihood is you're going to go along to St. Patrick's Cathedral right. at some stage. And just a little bit further on, I'm talking 50, 60 yards, is a Marsh Library. And the library has been preserved as it was built 300 years ago. So a 300-year-old library. Those are wonderful. Yeah. All over Europe when you find them. And, and what's one more? Just a little bit outside Dublin city centre is a place called the Casino in Marino. And it is an incredibly unique work of Georgian architecture from the late 18th century. It is a magnificent building. On the outside, it looks like a Grecian temple Hmm. with huge windows, a massive front door, and it looks for all the world like it's going to be one room, one big hall inside. And this would have been back from the days when Ireland was not chafing at British rule, but at least Dublin was embracing it and and benefiting from it, if you were a local Dublin was embracing it. There was a man named James Caulfield who uh, who had inherited a large fortune he went off on a grand tour of Europe when he was 20 years of age and he came back with wonderful ideas of bringing classic architecture and classic art to Dublin and he built the Casino in Marino. Stephen, thanks for your call. Thanks, Rick. You bet. I'm speaking with Joe Darcy, who's a tour guide in Dublin. His website is darcysdublinwalks.com. 
and today we've been walking through Dublin. And, and uh, Joe, let's just finish with Temple Bar because that's just sort of the trendy, tacky, touristy, full of hen parties and stag parties, uh, beer drinking zone. But you can't miss it when you're in Dublin. How can we approach and enjoy Temple Bar? Well, you should walk through Temple Bar during the day because the cobble streets that you're walking on are 17th century streetscape that you're walking on. Yes, it is a little bit tacky. It's a bit of a tourist trap, but it's extremely colourful. And there's also the music pub walk and the literary pub crawl. Oh, yeah. From there. Yeah. And they're wonderful experiences because you mm. go from pub to pub learning about the music or the literature, depending yeah. on your taste. And Temple Bar in Dublin was a thriving area in the 18th century. And it was full of, uh, as well as taverns and bars, it was full of theatres, including one called the Smock Alley Theatre, which has been restored now. And that was the first theatre to be built in the British Isles after the restoration of the monarchy in Britain in the mid-17th century. So much history. Mm, so much. Now, when people go to Ireland, they always, uh, when you order a beer, you get a Guinness. Yeah, if you say, can I have a pint, please, then the barman assumes you mean a pint of Guinness. That's in Dublin, now. In Dublin, of course. Yeah, now, if you want the most scenic pint of Guinness. Uh, they say it doesn't travel very well, and uh, if you want to get it right from the birthplace with oh, a good view, where would you go? The Guinness Storehouse, yeah. It gets very, very crowded during the summer months, mm-hmm. and maybe to go along towards the end of the day there. Yeah. But you have, when you go through the Guinness Museum, but you finish up on the bar at the top of the store. The, the Gravity store, Bar. As it's called the Gravity Bar, and it has a wonderful view this around is like the best almost view like 360. The oh, best yeah, view yeah. in the city, I think. And Absolutely. you got a nice beer there, and everybody's in a good mood. And if, if you're kind of a person that enjoys a brewery tour, it's a nice yes. way to cap it off. <laughs> so, Joe, let's just finish. We've walked all around town. We had our, our Guinness up on top of the Gravity Bar. Take us to one last stop. In the late afternoon or early evening, Grafton Street is uh, a shopping street on the, the south side of the city. It's been a pedestrian street since the 1980s. It feels like a pedestrian shopping mall. It's, it's a pedestrian shopping mall, place, yeah. Yeah. But it's, It has a huge, large department stores, but it has a lot of small shops as well. And what Grafton Street is most famous for is for the street entertainment. We refer to street entertainers as buskers and the art of busking, B-U-S-K-I-N-G. Yeah. Sometimes my American visitors don't know that word. You know? I love that word, yeah. busking. busking. And there's yeah. great buskers on yeah. Grafton Street. Yeah. And what I found, unlike anywhere else, is, of course, you've got street musicians, but you also have street poets. Street poets as well, yeah. Great opportunity to feel the pulse of Dublin. Yes. Joe Darcy, thanks so much for your peek at a, at a beautiful city. Thank you. We'll see you there. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through England, Scotland, Ireland, and beyond one small group at a time. This year we're featuring tours of the best of Ireland, the best of Scotland, the best of England and London. For a free catalogue and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.